Hola mi gente. The moment you've been waiting for is finally here. My brand new book, Financially Lit, is officially out. And I can't wait for you to get your copy. Inside this book, I'm bringing you culturally relevant and relatable personal finance advice that will allow you to finally feel seen, heard, and understood. Whether it's the guilt you feel from being the first person to make it while members of your family are still struggling, or the way that financial trauma manifests itself in negative and limiting beliefs around money, Financially Lit is here to guide you through it all. Just a few years ago, it was almost impossible to find personal finance books written for first-generation wealth-building Latinas. We have been forced to navigate the complicated world of money with a bunch of money books written by old white dudes who don't understand what it's like for us first-gen kids. But that stops right here, right now. Inside Financially Lit, you will learn how to set boundaries with your familia, with your dinero, create and pass on generational wealth, diversify and increase your income, protect yourself from financial abuse, navigate the complicated relationship between amor and dinero, invest like a white dude or better, and so much more. You can get your hard copy and audiobook version of Financially Lit at financiallylitbook.com and make sure to join our email list so you can find out when I'm stopping in a city near you for the Financially Lit book tour. See you soon. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Creating something different first is what inspires me, creating something that reflects the culture, something that people can really identify with. I think Latins love sugary, high calorie drinks. I'm sure we've all done it at some point in our lives or still do it. I believe that the culture wants to be represented in a different light. There isn't a reason why the culture can't have products that are healthy. Yeah. We should have products that represent sustainability and social impact and wellness. You know, all the things that you find and call it a lot of general market brands, but a lot of times maybe a Latin person may not identify with those products to the full extent. They can identify maybe with the nutritionals and whatnot or the ingredients and the functions, but maybe they don't identify with the ethos of the brand. So I think in this case, what I wanted to do was something that had the full 360 where culture was king, king and queen. And we put that always at the forefront. And what is culture being at the top mean? Well, we want our people to be healthy. We want our community to thrive. We want our community to be empowered. We want them to learn and to teach and to be inspired. You're listening to Yo Quiero Dinero, a personal finance podcast for the modern Latina. I'm your host, Janice Torres, award-winning Latina personal finance expert. I didn't always have my financial shit together, but when I started looking for POC-friendly personal finance podcasts, I couldn't find any. And so Yo Quiero Dinero was born. On this show, I'll show you how to make dinero, how to keep your dinero, and most importantly, how to make it grow. Each week, I'm connecting you with the most brilliant minds in the world of money and business, so you can learn about investing, entrepreneurship, and building wealth. The best part? I'm dishing up all this knowledge with a sassy side of sazón. So if you're ready to be poderosa with your dinero, you've come to the right place. Let's dive in. 
Before we hop into today's conversation, I want to remind you to follow us on social. If you're loving this podcast and you want more community, you want to find out more about our events and all the stuff that we have going on behind the scenes, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, and everywhere else you love to hang out on the internet. If you're loving this podcast, please take a moment to leave us a review if you listen to us on Apple. It's the easiest way to share our podcast with people that you know and love, and it helps us get discovered by amazing listeners like you. So take a moment, leave us a review, share us with your friends and family, subscribe so that you never miss an episode, and make sure to check out our blog, YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com, where you can sign up for our email list and you'll never miss an episode. Plus, you get exclusive invitations to our live events, special discounts for our digital courses, and as always, our best personal finance tips and advice to help you be poderosa with your dinero. Thanks for listening. Now, let's get into the episode. Andres, welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited to have you here. I always love finding Latino founders who are doing amazing things in all areas, and you have quite a bit of experience in this entrepreneurship game. So I'm super excited to dive in, get to know you, your story more, and hopefully you can leave the audience with some gems that you've picked up along the way. So welcome to Yo Quiero Dinero. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Okay, so first, let's start off with an introduction. Tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Hi, I'm Andres Izquierda. I am the founder of Chiqui Chiqui Boom Boom. Chiqui is a tropical water with Latin flavors, best described as a healthy Latin flavored vitamin water. We've been doing this company now for two years. Before that, I came from the fashion space. So I was there for about 16 to 17 years. Took some time off in the middle there for about two years and did a lot of things centric community specifically in the Latin sector. And then was planning and ideating Chiqui throughout that time period and just launched a little over two years ago. Incredible. Okay. So you've been in this entrepreneurial co-founder, founder space for a while. And so was this always part of the vision? Did you always intend to just be a multi-hyphenate entrepreneur or what was the original plan? Yeah. I think when I was growing up, I had these like dreams of grandeur, probably from seeing like rappers and businessmen that I read about. Like the rappers I read, I saw about them on MTV and then the businessmen I read about it like on Forbes because I would watch MTV and I would read like Forbes and Business Week when I was in high school. And yeah, I think depending on what it is, like I always wanted to impact multiple things and to be able to connect the dots and to figure out how I would be able to create positive impact and have it all tied together in some way, shape or form. Okay. So where did you grow up and what was family life like? Did that play any factor into your decision from a career standpoint? Yeah. So I grew up in LA. I'm born and raised here. My mom and dad are from Ecuador. I lived in the city. So I was always just exposed to different things, people's places, cultures, et cetera, et cetera. When I was growing up, my dad was around till age of 10 and I saw him do a lot of things. And I thought it was interesting how one person can do so many things. And at the time, I didn't know what was the measure of success, but it looked like he was doing well. So, you know, I thought it was cool. And I thought like being able to touch multiple people, places, things kind of going back to that theme was interesting. So, and then as I grew up, read more about things and whatnot. The internet was not popping in like the 90s. So you didn't have much access to information apart from magazines back then. So walk me through your initial foray into entrepreneurship. Did you study something specifically in school or did you graduate high school and then just go right into that space? Yeah. So I went to USC for college. I was in the business school there for undergrad. I 
went into a program at the business school called Marshall. And then specifically, you have to pick an emphasis, or at least back then you had to, I don't know if you still do, but my emphasis was entrepreneurship. To be honest with you, it was kind of what, at the time, it was like the easier one because there was no tests. It was all project-based because the Indian Entrepreneur Program, there shouldn't be no tests. Your test is your project. So at that time, I had gotten straight A's my entire life until I got to college. And then I was completely over college because I realized what I learned in this classroom wasn't going to determine my future. At least that's what I felt. So I didn't see how statistics would implement the rest of my life. Like you really just need algebra up to algebra. I think anything beyond algebra is more specialized. There's really no application that I've ever had in my entire life beyond algebra. So anyways, with that in mind, I didn't really study in college and whatnot. So I studied entrepreneurship. And during the entrepreneur program, you have to pick like a project, a theme that you decide that you want to do or not do, but you need to show like you're doing it. So I decided to do it on a fashion company. And yeah, that's where it all started. And then during the semester, I actually started the company. It wasn't like it was just an idea on paper. It was like started it, executed it, and developed it. Is this the the 5-4 group? Is that the origin story of that? Yeah, that's where it all started. Okay. So I'm curious, why fashion? What was it about that space that interested you? I'm pretty obsessed with clothing, and I love fashion. And I've loved fashion since I was like four. My mom would buy me stuff. And she had good taste, so she would buy me like Ralph Lauren and that kind of stuff, Tommy, blah, blah, blah. But I would never want her to dress me because she would dress me very preppy. So I would like dress on my own when I was like four. And I would just like argue with her in Spanish, you know. And I didn't really speak English at home. I only spoke Spanish at home. Like I spoke English obviously in school, but with my family, it was like 99% of the time Spanish. To this day, to be honest with you, my mom speaks fluent English, but she speaks to me in Spanish only really. So I really just like clothing from like a very early age. And then when I was going to my senior year of college, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I thought I wanted to do a few things. And now time came to kind of choose or at least choose something where like, hey, you can't have a real head start because you're going to be going in this program where like you have to start something and finish it. And it would be good if you actually come up with like a real business to do. So that's kind of like the origin of where things started. And then when I graduated, I'll never forget, I was at the teacher printer that morning of graduation day, picking up production and then going and wearing, like I went in a suit, you know, and I went to USC. So it was like five minutes from the printer. So I went in the suit, picked the things like 730 in the morning, then went to graduation like 10 in the morning or whatever. That's incredible. I love this concept of learning, quote unquote, entrepreneurship in school. Do you think that you could have done what you've been able to accomplish without that formal education? Or do you believe that like entrepreneurship is kind of like a self-taught thing for the most part? Yeah, I believe it's self-taught, but obviously schooling, there is a benefit there because it makes you think about things that a lot of times people don't think about when starting a concept. Like the academic way of starting a business would be like to assess the target market, competitor landscape, price model, doing all this like feasibilities of product market fit, essentially, which is like to this day, the most important thing. And I learned a lot of ideas of understanding product market fit from those early days. And that was like 21 years ago. So understanding that and that framework was important. And 
it's by no means you have to go to college to study this, but obviously having training, it never hurts. Mm-hmm. You know, the best entrepreneurs at the end of the day are the ones that have no fear and they just go do it and they just learn as you go and how quickly you can iterate and learn from your failures to keep pushing is the most important thing. Yeah, I love that. Okay, so it sounds like you're launching this clothing brand, right? Is that how this starts for you? Because you mentioned being at the printer. Yeah, so launch that. The concept was called 5-4. 5 minus 4 equals 1 equals 1 love. That was like the general theme. of, And the brand exists to this day, actually. So started that, then struggled for like a while. And it was like kind of like young men's streetwear. Then as time passed on, the brand kind of, evolved into more like a young contemporary kind of vibe, like a little bit of streetwear, a little bit of contemporary kind of fused into one, started making denim, got some early investors at the time, started to kind of put the pieces together to figure things out. And like went in 2002 to like by 2005, the company had done like a million in sales. We were like 24, 25 at the time. Then by 2006, seven, you know, it jumped to like six, seven, eight, nine million. And then the pandemic hit. Then the first recession hit of our lifetime, or at least of my adult lifetime. And things, you know, dramatically change. And we are dealing mainly selling wholesale. Then our business shrank like by 80% in like a year because not none of our accounts would pass credit. So it's very challenging. And we used to work on a model where we shipped accounts and we would get money advanced us from a factor. And a factor explains it in a nutshell for people that don't know. If I ship you a dollar, a factor will advance me 80 cents of the dollar on the day that I ship, as long as that recipient has credit, like proper, like good standing credit. And then I pay a fee of like one to 2% for that factor. So out of that dollar, my net receivable for me will be 98 cents. And I pay a fee of two pennies to the factoring company. So it's like a cash advance almost. Yes. And the clothing business for wholesale lives on this. This is like, it's like the drug. And people to this day still use factors. They're huge. But prior to 2008, it was huge. But then past 2008, like the mom pops got cleaned out. A lot of mom and pops, small to medium sized businesses and apparel got cleaned out. And then it became just basically like the big boys. Then it over time, there was a new wave of new small and mid-sized stores, but that took a few years to get to. Anyways, So during that time period, we launched the brand into retail. We launched our own stores. We kind of did it out of force because we didn't have any other options. Online wasn't really popping at the time. It was still kind of like a a no man's land to a certain extent, specifically men's fashion. Then we launched another brand called Young and Reckless at the time where we were like the operating partner of the company. We were just like testing a lot of things. The Young and Reckless brand luckily took off and it brought a lot of success to us and helped us figure out what to do with 5.4. And then over time passed on and we ended up launching a subscription service in 2012 where basically kind of acted as like a men's stylist, if you will. And we would send like two to three items and you, we didn't really let you keep what you liked and send back. We just believe that we know what men like and men don't like choice. So that ballooned to like over 80,000 members over time. And the service still exists to this day. And during that time period, I had launched a shoe brand called New Republic, I believe it was in 2016, launched an activewear brand called Grand Grand Athletic Club and launched a few other brands. Some worked, some failed. But the idea was to launch this like platform 
of men's fashion brands. And then in 2018, I left on a day-to-day level. And, you know, that's when I was really looking to go more into consumer and into doing something that merged impact, culture, and reggaeton. And I was like trying to figure like, how do I do this? This This is like two extremes, right? Reggaeton and then impact and culture. So then started to naturally look at the consumer space and see where I can add energy to it. And then that's where I kind of landed at like at beverage, like soft drinks. And I went to Ecuador, which I hadn't been in 14 years. And I was like Indiana Jonesing it. And I discovered this water that I drank as a kid that now my co-founder that I met there or met here. And then he used to travel between there and here. He had told me about this beverage that had been around for 500 years and had this very deep story to it. So that's how I kind of landed on consumer. That's an incredible journey. And I'm curious for people on the outside looking in, you could see the potential to fail because you're entering a market that's like, quote unquote, super saturated, right? Like fashion. I mean, like how many more fashion brands do we need, right? So how did you differentiate yourself or what was your thought process for making yourself stand out in such a competitive area? Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You know, I think the successes and the failures of all the brands that I've launched have been due to differentiation or lack thereof. You know, so I think that like product is one bit of it, depending on your category, brand marketing and community and identity is another piece of it. And then product market fit, like for instance, with the success of like, say the subscription concept, it wasn't attributable. The product was incredible. It was attributable that the service was very unique and it offered like a good price point. And it had quality products. It was like, not one thing was like five things that that added up. There wasn't one that was, in my opinion, stronger than the other. Just depending on the category, like I would say some things are very reliant, call it on IP, intellectual property. So if you have very strong IP, obviously that's your differentiator if no one else has it. If it's like a licensed item, then you can be the only one with that. And in other cases, it's a price war. That's like, to me, the worst differentiation to do because someone can always be cheaper. There's always a Chinese factory that's going to sell direct that is going to be cheaper than you, you know? So like you can't really win on price. It's very hard. Brand is king. And what makes a brand? It's, you know, all those kind of components like community and product to a certain extent, if you have like a unique differentiated product, like for instance, if your brand was built on sustainability and you had some like recyclable fiber or recyclable material that no one else has, And that goes into like the theme and the aura of the brand. That's like value add to your differentiation. But, you know, I think it's important these days to really figure that out because it's it's become tougher and tougher. And the days of like you launching something and having one differentiation piece and that's, and that be it, that's hard. There's just too much stuff out there now. Mm -hmm. So do you think that it makes sense to build a community around the product before it launches? Or can you launch a product and then find the right community? What should come first, basically? I would say community first and then product. 
you can make the argument for both, but bear in mind, you may only be able to build a community though in the first hand because of something else. Like for instance, you have a community, right? Because you have an audience that listens to you and that they love your podcast and blah, 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 right? That community is built on these pillars. I'm just using hypotheticals, right? Yep. If you launch a fintech product, they're probably going to pay attention to you at least in the beginning. Then it's really your product has to be good and differentiated, but they are going to laser in on like, oh shit, Janice launched this product. Cool. I'm going to give it a try because I trust her because I'm in the community with her. That's a good example where I think in this day and age of who that could be, maybe like a content creator or like a community leader or someone that is involved with some sort of a movement that involves community. You know, I think that's a good time and example of when that can be. On the other flip side, the example when you launch first a product and you find the community, I think your product has to be exceptionally differentiated and it has to be so damn good for a community to adopt you and to be like, okay, cool. Like I resonate with that product so much. It's so different from everything else and everything's saturated now. So like your product has to be, I would say out of one out of 10, it has to be like a, a 12 for people to even consider you, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think that makes total sense. And I've definitely found in my own experience that having the community there is a safer bet for folks who want to launch a product or a service. So yeah, I've been on both sides. So, you know, I think having input from the community before you launch your product or as you're building your product is critical, whether you can do surveying or there's just behavior that you see within the community already, and you incorporate that thing into your product. That to me is like, a really good example of how a community comes in and can really influence your product. Mm -hmm. Okay. So let's talk about the brand that made me aware of you. For folks that follow Yo Quiero Dinero, they know I'm passionate about two things, personal finance and reggaeton. So when I found your brand, I was like, holy shit, this is literally right up my alley. Let's start with the name, Chiqui Chiqui Boom Boom. Where did that come from? So Chiqui in Spanish means baby, como oye Chiqui ven acá. And Chiqui can be used to anything from like your daughter, son, mom, loved one, significant other, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And then boom is like boom in English. I've always said that I'm fluent in three languages, English, Spanish, and Spanglish. And like the idea of Chiqui Chiqui Boom was birthed years back, like maybe like 2014, 15, where I was just describing something and I was calling someone Chiqui and then I was like, I was describing it to my friend in Spanish, como, si, sí, toda la noche estaba increíble, estaba chiqui chiqui boom boom toda la puta noche, you know? And it meant like, yo, we had an incredible time. And it kind of meant like a celebration. And it kind of meant a celebration of anything. So then years passed, and then a lot of my friends were saying chiqui chiqui boom boom, blah, blah, blah. So when I wanted to name the product, I was choosing between two names, and one wasn't hot, and the other one was chiqui chiqui boom boom. And I knew that people would call it chiqui, because... You can't say like, yo, Janice, can you grab me a chicky chicky boom boom from the fridge? It's too much. You're going to say, hey, can you grab me a chicky from the fridge? So anyways, so we ended up going with chicky and chicky can mean a lot of things to a lot of people. And that's what I liked about it. And chicky, I think, has the ability to be like a verb, an, an adjective, a noun, a pronoun in like studying like the best brands in the world. Like the best brands a lot of times become verbs or adjectives. So I felt that chicky was a word that could be that as well. Mm -hmm. 
So, you know, I don't have to tell you this, but the consumer beverage space is very saturated and it's got some big players in it, right? We're talking about like Pepsi, Coca-Cola. What gives you the confidence to show up in a space that there's a shit ton of competition doing this vitamin water, you know, I think of like Gatorade and Powerade and all these things. I'm like, damn, that's some steep competition to come up against. Tienes que tener cojones, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Where does that come from? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Latino gang, I guess. <laughs> I think creating something different, first is what inspires me. Secondly, like creating something that reflects the culture, something that people can really identify with. You know, I think that there's, it's not a misnomer because it definitely applies, but like Latins love sugary, high calorie drinks. I'm sure we've all done it at some point in our lives or still do it. I believe that the culture wants to be represented in a different light. There isn't, a reason why the culture can't have products that are healthy. They should. Yeah. We should have products that represent sustainability and social impact and wellness and you know all the things that you find and call it a lot of general market brands. But a lot of times, maybe a Latin person may not identify with those products to the, the full extent. They can identify maybe with the nutritionals and whatnot or the ingredients and the functions, but maybe they don't identify with like the ethos of the brand. So I think in this case, what I wanted to do was something that like had the full 360 where culture was king, king and queen. And we put that always at the forefront. And what is culture being at the top mean? Well, we want our people to be healthy. We want our community to thrive. We want our community to be empowered. We want them to learn and to teach and to be inspired. That was where I felt it was so interesting. And I think that there's this white space in Latin plant-based beverages that really don't exist. And if you think about it, I assume majority of your audience is Latin. And we all have influence from plants in our upbringing, right? Yeah. Because everyone has the abuela or the mom that their solution to everything is some sort of plant-based remedy. So I see, say, I mean, he thought the way la la. Like, dude, I grew up that, you know, I see no toma esta no tienes que tomar la gingebra y la 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 con la hierba la 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 dude that was like abuela vibes yeah you know, <laughs> so like we all lived that and to this day we certain you know whenever i get sick my mom will call me and she'll bring me some concoction of herbs and she'll go and brew it right in my kitchen la menta la la la, la chamomile la you know, blah 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 add the limon and the sal and the chingadera la, la. dude <laughs> And, you know, that's like very reflective of our culture and, and other cultures too. But at least speaking of like Latin culture, like that is us, you know? So I feel like what I envision from a product perspective is that Chiki can be the house of Latin plant-based products that have authenticity and story and at the same time, marketability and crossover to global audience, right? So like to people like ourselves that, you know, we seek authenticity, we hit the check marks. And then to people that maybe just seek nutritionals and like functions, it hits that check mark as well. Right, right. So how have you funded this business? Has it been bootstrapped out of your own pocket or have you gone out and sought venture capital or loans or whatever? Yeah, so we've done all of the above. We've done venture capital, we've done loans, we've done grants, we've done bootstrapping, we've done all of the above, you know? Um, so yeah, we got pretty lucky early on that we got some investors that believed in the vision. You know, a lot of times in the beginning, you're betting on the jockey, not the horse. So it was a tough time though. It was, it, was, it was the pandemic. So it was a bit challenging to be able to go out and raise money and to do that when 
the world was like it left in chaos. We've gone through a lot and learned and we've iterated a lot in terms of like what needs to be done, not be done, et cetera, et cetera. And you're always constantly raising. So, you know, we're still raising. So I'm curious in these pitch meetings that you have with investors, what are the most common like criticisms that you've come up against? Because I can imagine some people would be like, well, who the hell needs another beverage on the market? I think that for us, what we say basically that we are the Latin, call it plant-based solution that's Latin themed, that has like a reggaeton edge to it that there's nothing like this on shelf right now. And we have what we need, right? We have the sustainability. We have the social impact. We have the nutritionals. We have the authenticity. We have the marketing and the branding and the name and da 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 So, you know, it's not just one thing, but we really push all that. But for us, the key differentiator is the Latin identity. And that's what makes it different. And it's not just the identity. It's also the name is good. You know, Chicky. It sounds like a song. There's other names that are Latin brands. To me, they don't evoke emotion. Some do, but not all. You know, some names evoke emotion. Some names don't. You know, I think the best brands evoke emotion. And I think that that's when you can really win if you can create your brand into meaning that. What would you say to critics that would say, well, trying to focus on the Latino market feels too niche. Like there's just not enough consumer base there to make that your focus. What would your response be? We don't solely identify or solely target the Latin consumer. We say that our brand image is Latin, but that doesn't mean that we only focus on the Latin consumer. I think a lot of our communication is like Spanglishy and is for the Latinx consumer. But like, again, most of our sales actually come from our top 25 accounts. I think only two over index Latin. So it kind of goes to show you that Latin culture is pop culture and that people want to taste Latin culture, not just like in a liquid, but they also want the vibe. Because the energy of the culture, obviously, you and I are biased, but we think right. that we're the best. You <laughs> it's know? the best. <laughs> like we're the best. <laughs> but uh, the culture in general is very warm. It's inviting. Obviously, the proximity of Latin America to the U.S., all people in America have experienced Latin culture in some way, shape, or form. They probably all know a Latin person, whether they work with them, whether they're friends with them or their neighbor or whatever. And I would say that the majority of people will have positive things to say about just the energy and the vibe of the culture. There's a reason why salsa sells more than ketchup now. You know, there's a reason why tortilla chips are popping. There's a reason why tequila now is the best-selling spirit. These are all things that it's not just because the quality is great. It's because the culture invites you to taste those things and to participate in that. Yeah, I absolutely love that. I totally agree. Okay, so tell us a little bit about the current product line and what the future state of the business looks like. Like, what are you guys looking to launch in the near future? So we went from being in like 200 to 250 stores by the end of Q4 last year to being close to 3,500 stores by the end of Q2 of this year. So obviously that's like a 15, 16x jump in store count. It's a lot that we're going through right now. Like, you know, just practice call, I was dealing with all these like, retail marketing plans, scaling this quickly. And a lot of brands do that. There's like this inflection point where you kind of go from like zero to hero. And like, you rarely will have another jump like that in your journey because a successful jump then will be like, call it two to four X, not 15 X, 
going from two to four X can take you a long time. At some point, you're going to go from like one to 15 X. And then from that point on, it becomes like two to four X. So, you know, we're dealing a lot with that. Like some of the data that we're getting back kind of surprises me of where we're doing better than other places. So that we need to figure out how we utilize that data. And the data, my thesis is are proving right in some places. In other places, it's like kind of, I never expected it. I didn't expect it, but I knew, okay, this totally makes sense because of XYZ. So yeah, there's no one size fits all because in one region, your product may work for this reason. In another region, it may work for another reason. And can you tell us about the current product line and what's potentially coming in the future? Yeah. So the current product line, we have four flavors. We really only push three of them. One of them, unfortunately, hasn't gotten a lot of love. I think because of the flavoring of it, it's an apple pear flavor, which it's a very Latin flavor and also very popular in Asian communities. But a lot of the markets here haven't adopted to it, even though it tastes incredible. But people are just afraid of drinking apple because they think it's like for kids, right? So we're also in development of four other flavors and we're probably going to end up sticking with like one to three of them, just depending how retail traction goes. But yeah, so I would say for now, we're going to keep it tight, keep it focused, keep the story pretty consistent. And, you know, over time, we're going to like constantly evolve. We're looking at evolving every six months in terms of like, what can we add? Whether is it a review on packaging or review on flavoring or review on certain ingredients and then new opportunities, right? Right now, we're not looking at anything new because we're just going from that zero to hero mark. I think when we have more data and when it starts to tell us what's doing well and not doing well, we'll have a better idea in terms of like what is going to take shape into the future. Sure, we may know what we think it's going to work, but you won't know until the consumers tell you what's right and what's not right, you know? The customer is always right. <laughs> is always right. So this is really exciting. So you're going to be launching into retail places like Walmart, Publix, et cetera. So I'm very excited for many more folks to try this product. I absolutely loved it when you guys sent me samples over and it felt fun. It felt like something that you want to share. It felt culturally relevant and they're delicious. So I would love for folks to know at this point, is there a way to get these online in case you can't access them via physical store? We'll be in like a lot of more stores. So just depending on where you live. So we're in all the, the Walmarts in Florida. We're in select Publixes in the Southeast, primarily in Florida, CVS nationwide, and about 15% of their stores nationwide. We're fresh time in the Midwest, Giant in the Northeast, DoorDash on Dashmart, GoPuff in Florida. And we're actively launching anywhere between 200 to 400 stores a month right now. So depending on the month, it may be in other great stores near you. That's incredible. And drinkchicky.com, C-H-I-K. That's exactly what I was going to ask you. So drinkchicky.com is where you can find out more about the brand, the origin story, ingredients, all that fun stuff. I'm curious with the last few minutes that we have left, what's the biggest lesson that you can share with aspiring entrepreneurs who are really excited about launching something into the world, but maybe feeling a lot of emotions about it. I can tell food and beverage entrepreneur, and this maybe applies to like a lot of other people, is after launching and really learning a lot from the consumer of how they view your product, I would highly recommend to take the first year of your ideation period doesn't matter if you're big and have a lot of money or little because it's all about consumer research and launch your product in farmer's markets 
and get feedback because we've gotten our best feedback when we've done demos or farmer's markets and stuff like that, where we've given out for free. I wasn't even selling at a farmer's market. The information that we got was so invaluable that that would have cost thousands of dollars doing focus groups online. And if depending on what your consumer set is, really doing that and doing that multiple times and doing it in different areas, maybe you do it on one section of the city one Sunday and then another one, another one, and you'll learn quickly what's wrong with my packaging, what needs updating, what am I communicating right or wrong. Don't spend too much money on anything because it's probably going to change 55 times between now and launch. Those things to me are invaluable. Bear in mind, I launched in the pandemic when farmer's markets weren't really possible and people didn't want discovery and touch new things. But when things opened up again in not really till like 2022, we started doing all those things and participating in events like that. And it was like a world of difference and impact that it created on our company because we learned a lot in very little time from this consumer feedback. And whatever your business concept is, if you can apply that to an off-world experience and get real feedback from people that are not your friends, which is key, because your friends are going to tell you a biased opinion just to make you feel better. You want people to tell you the truth, whether it's ugly or great, preferably ugly, because no one has a great product they won. It takes a long time to perfect your product. So it's better to have raw, honest truth because what you may be in love and fascinated with your idea, if others aren't as fascinated with your ideas, then you need to look to changing your idea. I love that. Andres, this has been an amazing conversation. For folks that want to find out more about Chiki Chiki Boom Boom, you can go to drinkchiki.com. And if you want to find out more about Andres, you can find him on Instagram, on his website, andresisquieta.com, on LinkedIn. Thank you so much for being here. And I'm wishing you so much success with this and future businesses that I'm sure you're going to launch. Thank you so much. Thank you. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you are ready to take your dinero to the next level, sign up for our free 14-page guide, The Financially Lit Latina, the ultimate blueprint for becoming poderosa with your dinero. This 14-page guide includes our best tips on money mindset, budgeting, debt repayment, career, investing, financial independence, side hustles, and more. And you can get it completely free. So to get your copy of the Financially Lit Latina, just head over to YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com slash start. That's YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com slash start and start transforming 
your dinero story today. Until next time, stay empowered, stay inspired, and stay poderosa. On the Yo Quiero Dinero podcast and associated entities, all information provided is for general information purposes only and does not constitute accounting, legal tax, or other professional advice. Listeners should not act upon the content or information found here without first seeking appropriate advice from an accountant, financial planner, lawyer, or other professional. We assume no responsibility for information contained on this podcast and associated entities and disclaim all liability with respect to such information, including but not limited to any liability for errors, inaccuracies, omissions, or misleading or defamatory statements. Usage of this podcast and associated content constitutes an explicit understanding and acceptance of the terms of this disclaimer.